0: Acts chapter 15 in the New Testament if you can find your way to that and uh, the way that we're going to start out here I'm going to ask a question that I'm going to request a response from you guys uh, this morning and so here's my here's my question to start off with how many people here today love a good fight now I, I don't okay we've got a few that already know they you know who you are I don't necessarily mean like MMA or jiu-jitsu or boxing or something like that, but you just like a good heated argument, a good debate, where you really get to get into it and talk about things and wrestle stuff out. How many, of, how many again? Other? This is about what I expected. I figured like 10% or less of the room, okay? And that's who you are, and you don't care. You know that. All right? All right, how many of you would choose to avoid conflict at all costs. Here's your hand. Okay, a little less than I thought. Well, how many of you chose not to participate that, in that at all because you wanted to make sure you were absolutely neutral? <laughs> uh-huh, there's a few of you. Okay, a few of you, even on that. Well, whether we like it or not, conflict, argument, debate even, is part of life. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid it no matter um, how much we try. Struggle is part of life. Conflict is part of life. And we know when we don't have to look very far to see there are wars being waged internationally, right? We've got here at home a nation that's politically polarized. We've got culture wars always going on. Um, I mean, it seems like right now in the United States, every topic is explosive. Anything. You can say, I like cookies and cream ice cream, and people are like, no, you know, cookie dough is better. What like, it's just, everything seems to be extreme. We experience conflict in our families. Those are sometimes the ones that hurt the worst. Uh, we experience, <laughs> excuse me, we experience it in our schools, in workplaces, and friend groups. My point is, conflict is a regular part of the human condition, right? It's something that we all experience. But here's the thing about conflict. It doesn't always have to end in death and destruction, all right? Sometimes we think, man, if something is, a conflict is happening, this has got it. This is going to end badly. That's the only way that it can end, right? It doesn't have to. Sometimes conflict is exactly what's needed to bring clarity and change in, in a positive way. I mean, think about that. How many of you have grown through conflict in your life? I know I have. In many, many situations. Now, over the past few months, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, which describes the growth and transformation of the church after Jesus had died and rose again. And in the early years, the the, the church was learning, really, how to, to express all that Jesus had taught. They were learning how to communicate that to other people. This was part of learning how to share the gospel with others. Because for many of the people here in the very early church, they knew Jesus. They had been with Jesus. They had heard him speak with their own ears. They had seen what he had done with their own eyes. They had experienced him and his life and his teaching. But now that he is gone, it's now time for the the church to begin passing that on to other people. And so they're trying to figure out, well, how do we explain all of that? How do we express what Jesus taught? about these things? How do we we pass those things on to others? Not only that, the Holy Spirit had been poured out in the world. We we saw here at the beginning of the book of Acts. And and he was empowering people to do things that had no precedent. And people, what we find, is that people had differing opinions on what was taking place. Specifically, we're going to see here today that different groups of people weren't sure of of the way that the basics of salvation even worked, how people are saved. And you had some disagreement on how that was, and and ultimately an argument broke out. Now, let me say this before we jump into the the actual text that we're going to read here today. Whether or not you're a Christian here today... And I don't expect that when I come to church on Sunday that every person in here is a Christian. In fact, if every person in here is a Christian, we're not doing all that we're supposed to be doing as Christians in sharing the good news of the gospel with other people and inviting other people in to to hear about this. But whether or not you're a Christian, I hope that by the end of this message, you know God's plan to save your soul. All right, That's the, the real goal here. Now, you might be the person here that's asking, well, why does my soul need saving anyway? What's that all about? Well, what Jesus taught is that every soul needs to be saved from spiritual death. Spiritual death, which is an eternity separated from God. There is a real spiritual world, and it is just as real as the physical world, but the spiritual world is sometimes hard for us to tune into. Uh, We don't usually see it with our physical eyes. And most of us, though, have an intuition or at least a suspicion that the spiritual world exists. Okay, And the Christian faith teaches that God created the world and the people to live in it, that they would have a relationship together. But the Bible goes on and says that sin entered the world and ruptured that relationship, caused a separation between God and humanity. So God made a way to remove our sins and to restore us in a right relationship with him. And that plan hinged on the work and the person of Jesus Christ. The way we receive that salvation is actually simpler than we might expect. And that's what we're going to see here today. Now, after the first missionary journey, so those of you who have been with us through Acts know that last week we just finished this route that Paul and Barnabas took in sharing the gospel. All right, And um, it was called the first missionary journey. And they returned to a city in Syria named Antioch which is the church, uh, the city, and the church there that had sent them out to go on this mission. And they continued to serve there at that church and build that church and serve as leaders there. All right, But then something happens here in Acts chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles open there, we're going to start by reading verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, You cannot be saved. Okay? Now, Judea is the region where Jerusalem is located, all right? Where all of the the, the church was first born. And Jerusalem is the center of Jewish life. And these men that were coming to Antioch were coming from Jerusalem, and they were all Jewish born believers, all right? You may not know this, but Jesus was a Jew. All 12 of the disciples were Jews. The early church started out with just Jews, but as we've seen, as we've studied through, God was doing something that was beyond what the Jews could understand and imagine. In fact, that's what we see in Acts chapter 10, and we're going to refer to that as as time goes on. Um, What happened was God decided to expand the, the, the kingdom of God by bringing the gospel to Gentiles, okay? And a Gentile is just anybody who's not a Jew. So in the Jews, that's a Jewish term. Everybody who's a Jew is a Jew, but everybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, all right? So if you're not a Jew here today, you're a Gentile, according to that definition, okay? And so these men, these Jews that were coming down, um, they rightly understood that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, the things that the Jews held in the highest esteem. And there was a direct link to Jewish faith, right? Right? The same God who created heaven and earth, Yahweh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of King David, that is God the Father whose son was Jesus Christ. All right, so there's a direct link to the Jewish faith in Christianity. So it wasn't unrealistic for these people with a Jewish background to assume that salvation would come through Jesus and all of their Jewish traditions. They just assumed, okay, well, obviously, we're Jews. we're God set us apart people. We've got all these rules. We've got to follow these. We need to do these things. And then Jesus has come along to fulfill all of that. But we can't just have Jesus without the rules, we, without the law. We need to have both, and everybody should have both, right? Well, this is, this is where the argument is going to happen here. Because after all, God was the one who gave the law in the first place, right? And circumcision was the sign of the covenant that was given to Abraham and all of his descendants. So they wanted to continue this tradition and order the new believers to keep the Jewish laws. Well, let's look at verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. All right, do you know what no small dissension means? It means it was a great big fight. (laughs) It was a big old argument. Because when now these Jewish believers are coming into this Gentile city, this big, um, you know, very highly populated, diverse culture is what Antioch was. We've talked about Antioch. It was similar to like the New York City of the ancient world, third largest city in the Roman Empire. People from all over the place but a lot of non-Jews. And so here these Jews come in and start telling this group of people that are not Jews, that are believing in Jesus, are following him. All of a sudden, they start rattling out this list of, well, you guys need to do this and do that and do this and all this to be saved. And they're like, what? So a big argument, big argument takes place here. But this is a big deal because salvation is a key doctrine of faith. This is a big part of what the good news is. The good news is that Jesus came to to heal this separation between God and humanity. And not only that, salvation and eternity, that's a big part of the good news of the gospel, right? We love to hear the fact that God says, I'm actually going to do something so radical and so amazing that you mortal humans who have a, a, a lifespan of however long it is, you mortal humans, I'm going to give you eternal life. This is a huge part of the gospel message. And so, the church in Antioch decides to send Paul and Barnabas and others to go back to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders and get an outside opinion from the people that had known Jesus the best. Now, as I said before, back in Acts 10, um, when the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, that had changed the, the believers' minds in Jerusalem. And that had been, had a, a heavy um, impact, because they understood that the Gentiles were included in God's plan of salvation. And, and they changed their minds. They accepted them. They, that established the fact that all people could be saved, but now they were discussing how they would be saved. They all uh, agreed that they were part of God's family. But some assumed that that meant that they had to keep the ancient family rules of the Mosaic law. And so that issue needed to be sorted out. In verse 3, it says, So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. That's the two regions uh, before you get to Judea, where Jerusalem is. Describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. And the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I want to point something out to you here. When you see the, the word Pharisee and you think about Pharisees, Most of the time, if you're familiar with the Bible or even just the story about Jesus, when you see Pharisee, you think bad guy, all right? But I need you to understand here, these Pharisees were Christians. These Pharisees, a Pharisee was just one that was a strict adherent to the law. They paid attention to the law. They memorized the law. They tried to build their lives around the law as as Jews. But now these Pharisees had now converted to, to Christianity. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, right, so these are Christians. These aren't some other Jews that are coming in from somewhere else. They're they're Christians. They were believers in him like everybody else. But they brought their strong sense of tradition with them. They believed that the rules they followed played a significant role in their righteousness before God. And this is an important um, distinction to make, an important thing to understand. Because what we're dealing with here with these Pharisees is what we call legalism. Okay? Legalism. Um, here's a definition of legalism for you. It's the belief that following a law or list of rules is the way that we receive salvation or maintain our salvation. I'll read that to you one more time. The belief that following a law or list of rules is the way that we receive salvation or maintain our salvation. Now, I wish this was the very last instance of legalism in the church <laughs> and that this was it, and we, we think about this archaic problem that they had 2,000 years ago and we never see it again. But unfortunately, legalism is still alive and well today in churches. All right, There are many well-meaning people, Christians even, that want to add a whole lot of things to the gospel message, a whole lot of things. They will tell you that there are certain clothes you can or can't wear They will tell you what you can say or can't say, drinks you can drink or can't drink, places you can't go, games you can't play, rules for every day, uh, which day of the week you worship, uh, where you worship, how you worship. And the early church had to deal with legalism over and over and over in all sorts of different ways. Which is why um, in the book of Colossians, um, we have this scripture that says this. It says, why, as if you were still alive in the world, Do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, before you freak out, and think that your pastor is an anarchist that just wants to do away with every rule and regulation, um, understand that there are boundaries and rules that are necessary and helpful for the good of society and the individual. But the efforts, the laws, are not what brings salvation to a soul. You see the difference here? There are certain things, certain ways of living life that are really good for you, that are really important for you to include in your life, but no adherence to any of those things, no matter how strict it is or how over the top it is, none of those things are going to let you earn salvation, okay? Okay? If you believe that as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds in life, that then you will be welcomed into heaven, you're going to be devastated when that day comes. And that's how a lot of people think. They just think, well, as long as I'm not as bad as the guy down the street, as long as I'm not as bad as the one who's locked up in jail for what they did, then I should be all right. As long as I still try to balance it out and toward the end of my life, I say really nice things and do really good things, you know, I, I remember an old Led Zeppelin song, which I think is a cover of an old blues song where, this isn't in my notes, I, I'm better to stay with my notes, but anyway, where he basically he, he dies and goes to heaven and says, St. Peter, won't you let me in? Like, won't you let me in? Come on, I was a good guy. I was all right. Sure, I did a few things bad, but I didn't mean to do no wrong. You know, that's, what, that's the, the lyric, right? This is how a lot of people view things. They're like, I'm going to get there, and I'll just knock on the pearly gates, and I'll just try to, you know, work my way in there. I'll say, you know, the good things I did. Remember when I walked that old woman across the street? She would have been hit by a car if it wasn't for me. You should let me in. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible declares. What it does declare in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3.20 says it this way, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, we have the benefit of having the New Testament letters from Paul and from Peter and from James and others. Unpacking how this all works. But this council here in Acts 15, they didn't have that yet. Guys, the New Testament Bible had not been written yet at this point. They were still trying to understand it as they went. The mystery of God's salvation for the whole earth was in the process of being revealed. Let's look at verse 6. It says this (coughs) It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is back to that Acts 10 thing. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Just as they will. So Peter, he's, you know, Peter, Saint Peter, the Apostle Peter, the one who'd been so close to Jesus, the one that had extensive authority, substantial authority here. He stood up, and he basically gives this verdict. After hearing all the debate, hearing all the argument, thinking of of all these, you know, having all these conversations, here's what he essentially says. He says, look, salvation comes by faith through grace, of the grace of Jesus. It does not come from obedience to the law. We Jews, he says, we couldn't save ourselves through the law. He's like, we've been trying this for thousands of years and we're still blowing it. We've done everything we can to try to devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves to it, but we're not pulling it off. And even us, even those that continue to follow the traditions of our ancestors, we will not be saved by them. We too will only be saved through grace. Now this was, I I want you to understand, this was a really monumental statement. This was a really big deal. Because this was unraveling centuries of tradition. And so for Jewish people, a Jewish man like Peter, to stand up and say, hey, this is the way God's doing it. Whether we like it or not, this is his method It was simplifying these elaborate complexities of the Jewish community. The Jews had, at this point already, they had 613 laws, okay, that you had to follow. 613, memorized, all 613, all right? And you had to know all 613 and needed to keep every single day all 613 of these laws, all right? They had laws that attempted to follow covering every aspect of life concerning God and worship and family and marriage and divorce and sex and children and business and employees and farming and government and taxes and clothing and property and contracts and diet and holidays and more. <laughs> 613 worth. Everything, everything about who you were was underneath this law. And this was essentially a call to say, that needs to be left behind. That needs to be left behind. Now, it's important to recognize that this wasn't just a group of men coming up with a new strategy or plan. They were trying to understand what Jesus had revealed and how the Holy Spirit was now guiding them and then how to alter their lives in response to that. I would guess that most of these people continued to live their lives with their Jewish traditions until the day they died. Most of the, the early church in Jerusalem remained following the Jewish tradition. It's, it's the only thing they had known. It's what gave them comfort and guidance. And many of those traditions, uh, many of those rules kept them out of harm's way. <laughs> There's consequences when you don't follow good rules. All right, But for the first time, they were challenged to see them as traditions instead of the path to salvation. Now, as we'll see next week, our behaviors do matter. All right? Our behaviors do matter. The gospel message is more than just how to get to heaven when you die. And unfortunately, in our society, that's what the gospel has really been reduced down to in many places. That's why you've got so many Christians or named Christians that are not enjoying the life of a Christian they're like okay I've, I've heard the message I raised my hand at that thing and I, I prayed the prayer but nothing happened I'm still just as miserable as I was before I'm just as angry as before I'm still full of lust like I was before I'm still chasing after all the things that I've always chased after what in the world's happening here It's because if we reduce the gospel message and say it's just about salvation from death and and get your ticket into heaven, if that's it, if that's all that's there, it's a pretty miserable experience between now and then. So you spend your whole life just waiting to die so that you can finally get into heaven and get everything fixed. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus called. Jesus did not say, go and make converts, he said, go and make disciples. Disciples. Disciples were people who followed a teacher. They lived with a teacher, and they became like their teacher. So there are changes that had to happen in people's lives, transformation that has to take place in order to live life like Jesus. How we live our lives matters. And when we enter into a true relationship with Jesus, our lives are transformed. And that's the critical place where so many Christians get stuck. They don't know or don't practice what Jesus taught, and then they don't understand why they don't experience the joy and the love and the fulfillment that he promised. There are commands that we are to obey, and there are consequences when we don't. But salvation is completely the work of Jesus. You see the difference? see what's going on here? We receive it by grace through faith in Him. I think it's very fitting that we got to dedicate this morning a little girl named Grace. I could not have planned that any better, right? Grace. What is the essence of salvation? Grace. Grace. It's by grace that we are saved. So why is that good news for every one of us here today? Every one of us. Every one of us. Because if you are a believer, you can rest... And rejoice in the fact that Jesus has freely given salvation to your soul. Okay? It wasn't because you were really good this week. It wasn't because you stopped swearing so much. It wasn't because whatever. It's because of him. You didn't earn it and you couldn't earn it. He loves you and gave it to you. There is now no condemnation for your soul so you can stop condemning yourself. No matter what happens in this life, you can trust him for that. And if you're not a believer here today, this is good news for you too. Because you can see that Jesus' work was for you as well. He has offered salvation freely to all who would receive it. Your choice is to either receive it or reject it. And that's up to you. If you receive him, Salvation is the beginning of a transformed life. It's where you start. We start with Jesus. We're going to end with Jesus. But that's where we start. And now, from that point, our life begins to be transformed when we journey with him, and he changes us from the inside out. I'm grateful for this argument that took place 2,000 years ago. It may not have been fun at the time. I think if we had been in that council meeting... With all those people arguing from this side and that side, it would have been ugly. And for those of you who are like, at all costs, keep me away from conflict, you wouldn't have wanted to be in that room. But I'm glad that they did it. Because in wrestling through this and understanding what God was doing, it helped bring clarity for generations, all the way down to us. None of us have to, I'm not doing a pop quiz for all 613 laws for you after service, right? Because we don't have to follow those any longer. We can rest in that. And I pray that today you would understand how simple and yet profound salvation by grace through faith in Jesus really is. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for this time that we had in the Word today. And Lord, I really do just ask that you would continue to teach us about who you are and about how you have come to make a way for us to know you. And today, Lord, I pray that, um, I pray that you have given us all ears to hear the message that you um, had for us to hear today. And for those here today that are Christians that maybe have been beating themselves up this week, maybe they've been questioning their own salvation, wondering if you still love them, after what they said or what they did, what they looked at, where they let themselves go, what they let themselves do. Lord, I pray that today you'd you'd remind them that salvation is a free gift from you and it doesn't hinge on them and their behavior. It hinges on you. And Lord, I pray that today you would remind them of that fact and from that, Lord, that they would again come and yes, we need to repent of sin. We need to turn from our sin. We need to leave it behind and come and follow you. But but you've already done the, the, the heavy lifting. You've already provided a way for us to do that through him, through Jesus. And so Lord, today I pray that if there are any here today that are believers in you, that just need that reassurance, that you love them, that you care for them, that today they'd receive that from you. That you'd encourage their hearts, that you'd strengthen them, You'd help them get up from where they've fallen and and move forward. And if there are any here today that do not know you, and maybe this is the first time that they've understood the gospel simply, and I pray that they, they do understand it, maybe there are some here today that are like, okay, I've heard this a million times maybe, but I've never received the Lord. I've never wanted to accept that free gift of grace that has been offered to me then today, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would draw them to yourself. That even right now, that your Holy Spirit would awaken their spirit. Maybe it's been asleep. Maybe it's been pushed off to the side. Maybe it's been misled. Either way, Lord, just awaken their spirit to your spirit and allow them to hear the call that Jesus is making on their lives. The desire to give them that grace and that gift of salvation. And for those people, Lord, I pray that they would just take the courage to accept the free gift offered to them and begin their journey with you. And Lord, as we all go from this place this this afternoon, Lord, I pray that that, uh, you would fill us with your goodness, fill us with your joy, your peace. And God, may we uh, be the people that reflect uh, the grace that's been given to us. We have been given so much. We've been given eternity. And now we need to be the people that reflect that in the way that we are generous and grateful and kind to all the people we interact with. So bless us, I pray. Guide us, I pray. In your son Jesus' name, amen.